Um, by faith, I'm doing a mini-series before I go to hope. Um, so I'm going to keep this one going. Um, and we're starting in Hebrews 11, obviously by faith. Persevering faith is what Hebrews 11 is all about. Following Christ is living our best life, so to speak, but it is a tough life. Why? Because there are three things set against you that you never had before. The world around us hates the biblical Christ. Not people necessarily, but the ideologies, the philosophies, the views, the whole way of thinking is hostile, leaves God out of the picture, is anti-Christ and despises Jesus. All done, all hidden, behind a smiling, caring face. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, Jesus says, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. A friend of mine I'm still in contact with says, we miss the old horse, that was my nickname. We miss the old horse. They don't like the new one. That's how it is, my friends. But worse, behind that smiling, caring face, the demonic host rubs its hands with glee and it guides the mass further down the road that leads to destruction. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we're the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And that worldview is always trying to mould us into its way of thinking and influence us into its way of living. Romans 12, 2 tells us, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's the first thing that's against you. Second thing is you've got the war within you if you're a Christian. When you trust Christ, Christ delivers the death blow to our natural, self-centered, self-pleasing, fallen nature. And he also creates a new nature, which Ephesians tell us is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So your desires is one of the first things that changes within. You move from just about self, me and mine to Christ and him and his. You were once dead to God, and now, spiritually, you're alive to God. Spurgeon says this, To wash and dress a corpse is a far different thing from making it alive. Man can do the one, God alone can do the other. Before you had no inclination or ability to serve and love Christ. Now he gives you his Holy Spirit to enable you to do both. Christ comes to live, when you trust Christ, in the central place of who you are, what the Bible calls your heart. And the result is, a war kicks off within. Between the Spirit of God and the natural self-centered nature. Galatians 5.17 says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature, they are in conflict with one another 
so that you do not do what you want. And you know that when you've become a Christian. You've never had that battle before, not really. But now you really know about it. And lastly, the, other third, the third thing is that there is another war that's going on all the time between the devil and the spiritual powers and the powers of the heavenly realm and God. Before you knew Christ, you were never a threat to the enemy. You were never a threat to the devil. He left you alone. He was happy to see you sleepwalk into whatever, into hell ultimately. But now you belong to Jesus. You become conscious of a malevolent enemy. You were snatched like a burning stick from the fire. Christ has plundered the devil's kingdom. He's broken you free. And now you're on that long and narrow path which leads to life. And Satan could do nothing about that. Isn't it funny? I lived in a haunted house. And it really was haunted. Um, by evil spirits. I don't believe in ghosts per se. I believe in impersonating spirits. And, um, which are much worse, by the way. And... Uh, I, I knew there were things going on, but I couldn't sense anything. As soon as I became a Christian, it's like the light switched on. I, would, I absolutely knew there was an evil presence in the house. That's how different it is. I tangibly knew that demonic powers were around me, looking at me, scrutinizing me, and generally trying to terrify me. You know what I did? I said, in the name of Jesus, Satan, get out. Never heard from him again. Come on! <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes! John 10, 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. That's the assurance you have if you're a Christian. But instead, because the devil can do nothing about taking you away from the Lord... He can seek to flood you with guilt and shame and doubt and fear and anger to eliminate you as a threat. The solution is that you fix your eyes on Jesus. You walk close to him. You live for him. You remember just who he is, what he's done. You know who you are and you know where you're going. 2 Peter 1.8 says this. If you possess these qualities, that's going to be more like Christ and there's a list. In increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he's short-sighted and blind. Why? He's forgotten he has been cleansed from all of that, from all his past sins. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to weigh you down with perpetual guilt and shame and everything else when it's all gone in, the, in Christ. So it's often tough for a follower of Christ. And you who are Christians know it only too well. But it is so worth it. For you've come to know that indescribable gift of grace through Christ. You may be materially poor, but you now have the unsearchable riches of Christ. You may be downtrodden at times and despised and rejected by this kingdom, but you're accepted in his kingdom. In fact, if you're a believer, as soon as you trust Christ, you are already become a citizen of heaven. You are spiritually already at the right hand of the Most High next to Christ. Do you realize just how much access to power you have 
from the Lord Jesus. It's just a matter of time before you arrive there physically. Your body's on catch-up. You've been resurrected inside, eventually be resurrected outside, and then that's the end of the story and the beginning of a great new chapter. The hymn writer says, More happy, but not more secure, are the glorified spirits in heaven, those that have gone already. You're no more secure, (laughs) no less secure, than they are. And they've made it. And you have access to all the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Bible describes us now as overcomers and more than conquerors. Now you may lose a fight here and there, a battle now and again, or perhaps quite often, but... Remember that Christ has won the war. But really, then, persevering faith is massively important. What is persevering faith? Because these are the tools God gives us to get through this life. And persevering faith is never losing sight of some of the realities I've just mentioned. Though at times everything and everyone is screaming the opposite, we read that the rock-solid faith of the ancients is what they were commended for in verse 2. Because they went through the mill and back out again. But you see, when you're in that situation, faith screams louder than all the other stuff that's being thrown at you. Romans 3, 4, it says, Let God be true and everyone else a liar. If it ever came to that, that's what this kind of faith does. And we thought we got it bad, but these Hebrews are really struggling, and Hebrews 6 and 10 is full of warnings about slipping away under trial. Because the Jewish followers of Jesus are up against it, especially from the Christ-rejecting Jews of which they were saved out of. And the Romans don't like them either. And they're persecuting them for trusting Christ. And they're arresting them, they're imprisoning them, they're torturing them, and they're killing them. So some felt the only option, the only search for some kind of peace was to go back to the old religion of Judaism. And some had already returned. Others had dropped off the radar altogether, never to be seen again. Still others turned full circle and became outright enemies of the Christ they once believed in. How many people do you know that used to follow Christ and they've disappeared now without a trace? I can count on more than two hands. Some used to be regular at park here. Others were Christian friends or family members. Where are they now? Who are they following now? Because man's a worshipper. He's going to worship, live for, follow somebody. And it's not Christ. And it's absolutely heartbreaking, isn't it? And you see, if we were to focus on other so-called Christians, we'd all throw in the towel. People leave churches and never go back because of the people of God in those churches. It was never about the people of God. It was about the Christ. But nevertheless, it's not helpful when other Christians do a bunk, which is what was happening here. 
But you see, here we go back to the root of persevering faith, which doesn't rest on the behavior of other Christians. It rests solely and completely on Christ. It did when you were saved. You weren't saved through other Christians. You were saved by him. He is the only one who can be trusted, the only one who can never let you down, the only constant in an absolute world of inconsistency. Let's face it, we've seen that so much over the last 18 months. Yet we know, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and for ever so the Hebrews who were still trusting were quite understandably wondering whether it was all worth it and that's why Paul wrote this letter and Hebrews 11 which we're studying tells you that every emotional physical psychological and spiritual trial you face is absolutely worth it. It might not feel that right now, but it is. And sometimes we think, I just can't take it anymore. I just can't face it anymore. But Hebrews 11 says, yes, you can, but you have to keep going and God will get you there in the end. You see, the kind of attitude we have to have is this, which really echoes in that Romans verse I mentioned. Even if everyone who ever bore the name of Christ upon their lips were to suddenly fall away and you were the only one, you will remain. That's what you have to think. But it is a two-way street. We must exercise persevering faith, which is a faith that God has already given to you when you believed. Don't look around, don't look within, look up to Christ who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, who is for you, not against you, and is ever, leaving, ever living to intercede for you. This is what I like about what Jonathan Edwards says. He said, resolution one to himself, I will live for God. Resolution two, if no one else does, I still will. Is that your resolution? It's not a New Year's resolution. It's a permanent preaching to yourself resolution every minute of every day, especially when others around you are falling off or cooling off. It's not going to come to me. That's what you have to think. That's persevering faith. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. Hebrews 10.35 says as much. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. So what is persevering faith? Well, it's faith that brings the promise of the future into the present. The future hope into the present. Verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for, something which hasn't yet happened. You see, future hope, if you look into the New Testament, is the heartbeat and the driving force of the present of these people of faith. It brings God's promises of the future into the present. 
Not because they've been fulfilled, but because they're as good as been fulfilled. That's what faith thinks. Um, remember, it struck me the other day, I was just watching it on telly, and it was a completely uh, acting type of funeral and detective series. And then it struck me that in the funeral words, we say, and the sure and certain hope of resurrection. It really struck me afresh. That's what faith is. You haven't been resurrected yet, but it's a sure and certain hope. That permanent relief from sin is coming, and sorrow, and anxiety, and dying, and death, and pain. That's what drives you on as well. The return of the Saviour drives you on, which is what drove uh, Job on when he said, one day I'll see him face to face. And he will turn every bad thing you've ever experienced into the good, ultimately. And you will see and understand much of what you'll never understand in this life. That's what must drive you now. You see, we have to cultivate this future hope. We have to keep it alive in our daily walk. These New Testament writers thought that Christ was going to come back in their lifetime. It drove them and drove them and drove them. And look what was accomplished. You must focus on it. Because that's what drives you all the way into glory. Because this hope isn't a hope. It is the hope. Aren't you tired of my truth, your truth, relativism? It's nonsense. There is a hope and there is the hope. There's plenty of a hopes. What are they founded on? Not something solid. And Because it, it's not a hope that everything will work out in the end or in the American movies when they say all, all's going on around them and they say uh, everything's going to be okay and then usually the girlfriend or the woman says, do you promise? And he says, yes. He can't promise. He knows nothing. It's not just, I hope everything will work in the end. It's not some sort of fingers crossed, not touch wood. It's being sure of what will happen. It's the only true hope for all humankind. And any other hope is false hope. But persevering faith does not fix on, there are bad things, it doesn't deny them, but it doesn't fix on them. It focuses on all the wonderful things that you have laid up for you in the future because this house right now is not your home. Someone once said, it's good to count all your blessings before breakfast. Well, it is. I'd rather have breakfast first and then say thank you for that blessing. But some people don't have breakfast till 10.30. That's up to you. I can't do that. But count your blessings in the morning. Revive the living hope that has been dying perhaps within you at times. And then persevering faith is this. It's a faith that is absolutely sure that God can't lie. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, 2 Corinthians 1.20. Focus on future hope and you'll be filled with present hope and you'll know a new confidence in what you hope for. For faith is being sure of what you hope for. The other thing is that faith, this faith, sees... What is unseen? Have you noticed when you became a Christian, your eyes, by faith at least, didn't see things, but everything was different. 
I was blind and now I see is so true for the Christian. Things, spiritual world that you never even could discern in the slightest bit before. Now faith is being certain of what we do not see, verse 1. The evidence of things unseen. The word certain means having a conviction of what you do not see. It's a deep-seated, deep-rooted knowledge that something you can't see physically is still totally true and absolutely real. You can feel the wind on your face, can't you? You can even tell what direction it's going on. But you can't see the wind. You can see the effects of the wind on the leaves of the trees and on the sea. But you can't see the wind. Yet you're convinced it exists. Why? It's an ever-present reality in your life. The wind is evidence and a conviction of the existence of things unseen. And so it is with God, as the Bible tells us. If you look around, you can't help, with an open mind, you can't help but see the work of a designer in creation. Verse 3 of Hebrew 11. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command and that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Psalm 19, verse 1, years before that, says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens is uh, the cosmos space. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Let me give you a practical demonstration of what uh, I realized as part of Psalm 19. I don't know whether you've ever watched a sunset. It goes red before it goes down, then the world's plunged into darkness. So Jesus, the light of the world, was covered in his own red blood just before he went down, and then the world was plunged into spiritual darkness. A blood-red sunset reminds you of the cross. People say you can't get much out of creation. Of course you can. Then out of the darkness, the sun rises and bathes the whole world in glorious light. As did the sun of righteousness rise with healing in his wings, beaming all his brilliant rays into this dark world. Every sunset declares Christ's death. Every sunrise declares his resurrection. Jesus is alive. That's just one simple thing. The gospel is preached through creation. Of course, you have to know the gospel to understand that. If you read Romans 1, you'll see that very clearly. There is an invisible designer. Faith is certain of what you do not see. And you know this, Christian, in your own reality, isn't it? When I read this, I read this after I'd become a Christian, never read it before, and I thought, yeah, wow, that did happen, and that is happening now, and I'd never even knew that, that it was in the Bible. 1 Peter 1.8 Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Other people think you're crazy. It doesn't say that. For you are receiving, now in the present, the goal of your faith, the future hope, the salvation of your souls. Faith sees what is unseen. Christianity is not about religion, it's about relationship. And then faith isn't an option, Christian, it's essential. Verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, obviously, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That faith is available to all who believe, and it's given as soon as you trust Christ. Now, these heroes that we'll be looking at, we call them the heroes of the faith, in and of themselves were nothing like heroes. They were ordinary human beings like you and me, but they were in the hands of an extraordinary God, and that's all that matters. Abraham was an idolater and a pagan. God caused him to be the father of all who believe. Moses was terrified of speaking in public. You know, I used to feel sick, faint. I used to go for a wee every two minutes before I preached. Sorry about that, but it's true. I was terrified of speaking in public. Yet in God's strength... Moses faced up to Pharaoh and he was walked in as bold as a lion and pronounced on him one plague. Then he came back with another, all ten, ten different uh, occasions. He, and then in the end, he commanded the most powerful man of that time to let God's people go. And then this scaredy cat walks out of the palace for the final time and walks right out of Egypt. Here's the one who was terrified of public speaking. The Red Sea gets in the way, that's no problem. He stretches out his hand over the water, he divides it, and the people walk across on dry land. When they've got across safely, it's shut and the enemies are drowned. Ordinary, everyday, fearful, weak people just like you and me. But God gets hold of them and he turns them into the heroes of the kingdom. We're nothing, he is everything, as John was talking about earlier. Remember Gideon. There he was hiding and he was surrounded and the enemy was starving them out. And all he could see was the great power of the enemy. Defeat seemed certain. He was terrified, he was overwhelmed. And the only thing he was certain of was that he was going down. But God finds him quivering in his hole. And God comes to him and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God isn't phased by your fear. He looks beyond it. He doesn't accuse you of being weak and pathetic. Why? Because when you're in that state, you're in the very place he can do something with you. Because your self-sufficiency has evaporated. And now you know you're helpless and you're hopeless, therefore you know your need of him, and now he can accomplish anything he wants through you. For his strength is made perfect 
in your weakness. You see, God looks at you and he sees what you'll become in his strength. It's not that he believes in you. Let's not have any of that. He believes in what you can be in his strength. He sees what you'll become in his strength and he commits himself, puts his body on the line, literally in Jesus' case, to get you there. Philippians 1.5 Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, there's the perseverance, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You may feel scared at times. Maybe you feel scared now. You might feel useless and worthless. You might think you're a spare part. But when God gets a hold of you, there are no useless, worthless, spare parts in his kingdom. Not only do you have great potential because of him in you, but he's got things for you to do that you never thought you could possibly do. But he can't do anything with or in you if you don't respond back to him in faith. Verse 6, for without faith it is impossible to please God. And faith means that you believe that he exists, you have a conviction of the reality of the one you can't see, And faith means that you believe he'll reward those who earnestly seek him. How? By continually making that future hope a present motivator. Are you continually in your Christian life making the future hope a present motivator today? Because it's easy to get caught up horizontally and make this house your home when actually Bible says we're just passing through. We've got much greater things. Our best years are ahead of us. Most people's best years are behind them. There's no other way to come to know God but to be saved by God, to continue with God through faith by grace. So as we close, let me challenge you with this. Will you listen to this challenge, but then disappear out the door and forget all about what you've heard about persevering faith? Well, it's not an option. It's an essential. If you do perpetually do that, you've got as much chance of becoming like Christ as my black Labrador man. And if we were to debate that, I think he's probably on his way. And my dog before that, Jasper, was listened to 17 lectures at Bible College every week. So if there is any dog that could be saved, it's that dog. <laughs> Physical food is the fuel for you to move, isn't it? If you don't, you get more unhealthy, so you move. Same with spiritual food, which we forget. You go out there, what's happening now, you listen, and then you go out there and you work it off. You exercise the faith you've been given. It's not that we have to keep pleading, Lord, increase our faith, although that's a good prayer. 
But live for the Christ you claim to love more than anyone else in life is what this is about. And these heroes of Hebrews, as we shall see, exercised their faith and in God's power did things they never thought possible and became people they never dreamed they could ever be. Why? Because they used the faith they'd been given and they put it into action. Why? Because like those old penties of old, God said it, they believed it, that settles it. I dare you to move once you finish here. You can be confident of what you hope for. You can be certain of what you do not see. So put that faith into practice. God will use you and the devil will be scared of you instead of you cowering before him. Don't you hate that? He's got nothing. But if you don't, God won't. And the devil will leave you alone, even if you're a Christian, but you'll never become what you can become in Christ. And that's tragic, and that's sad, and none of us want that. Jesus says, even if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, God can move mountains for you. Faith must be lived out. And faith is perpetually waiting to be amazed at what God can do with you and in you. This is persevering faith. Samuel Rutherford, Rutherford, I'll leave you with this. He says, When I'm in the cellar of affliction, I look for the Lord's choicest wine. <laughs> that's persevering faith that sums up the whole passage Amen let's just pray and then we'll have our music I nearly said music fans our music uh, team come up Father we thank you so much for your word it's always poignant, it's always a challenge it's always encouragement uh, there's sometimes a rebuke in there as well, it doesn't matter you speak through your word we pray that we will be open we pray that we won't just be hearers only of the word but doers because we will be blessed in what we do your word says uh, help us to continually focus on that future hope which brings us a spring to our step in the present help us not to be afraid of anyone but to only revere and adore you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.